I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22 as we continue our study in Deuteronomy. Looking at Deuteronomy 22, verses 5 through 12 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 153 in the Pew Bible. Page 153 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then we do invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. It will certainly bless your life. Deuteronomy 22, 5 through 12. Now, we've been going through Deuteronomy here, and uh, in the last few weeks, we've been focusing in on Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 24, and, and that section of Deuteronomy, as I, I said earlier, has to, to do with the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And the, the whole, the general principle behind the commandment, thou shalt not murder, is uh, respecting and maintaining the dignity of human life. Uh, all human life is valuable. We, we've learned about the, the sanctity of human life. All human life is valuable, inherently valuable, because every human life is created in the image and likeness of God. So uh, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, doesn't have to do with just murder, but it, it regards treating people with the dignity that they deserve being created in the image and likeness of God. So we focused on that. Now, as we get to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 5 through 12, this is a, a transitional section in Deuteronomy. It's transitional. We are transitioning from human dignity and life, or the dignity of human life, to human dignity and purity. Uh, so still do, dealing with human dignity, still dealing with the value of human life, but now we're, we're shifting slightly to the idea of purity. And so we see this in our text, and let me just kind of explain what's going on here because this has confused a lot of people. Uh, you get in Deuteronomy 5 through, uh, 5 through 12 there, uh, this kind of blending of different topics, different subjects. Moses deals with some things like cross-dressing there in verse 5, as we'll, we'll talk about that. But then in verse 6, he, he goes to this, this thing about a bird and a bird's nest and all of that, and then, then the parpet, building a parpet on your roof, and, and then he comes back to the blending of, of sowing your field with two different kinds of seed and all of these things. And so what's going on here? And what does any of this have to do with the dignity of life and the dignity of purity? And what, what's happening here? Well, Moses is, is blending these two ideas as he's making a transition. So we see here as he's going through these, little, these few verses here, he's blending the idea of the, the dignity of human life, maintaining the dignity of human life, and the dignity of life and purity together in these verses. And so that's where we get those ideas right here in the middle, verses 6, where he talks about the bird and the bird's nest and the par pit on your house in verse 8. Uh, he, he's going back to that discussion on the, the dignity of human life 
as he's making this transition. So we've kind of already dealt with a lot of these topics here as, as far as these few verses go. Uh, think about that. If you come across a bird's nest in verse 6, uh, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or the eggs, or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now, we, we talked about this in, in some regards in, in past sections when we talked about the dignity of human life in warfare, and we talked about maintaining resources, right? Not just destroying all the resources, but we're called to, to steward and, and maintain resources, especially life-giving resources. We're not just to use them up or destroy them precariously, but we're to maintain them, right? We're, we're to be good stewards of, of the resources God has given us and, and not just to consume them ourselves, but think about future generations and other people who might depend on those resources. And that's what Moses is getting at here, Right? You're to let the mother go so the mother can go have more eggs and produce more young and the, the resources continue to flow, right? You can eat the eggs, you can eat the young, but let the mother go. Maintain and steward those life-giving resources. So he's dealing with the dignity of human life there. And the same with the parpet on the, your house. That's about maintaining life, protecting life, preserving life. You're to put that safeguard uh, around your house, all around the roof. That's where they did a lot of their uh, outdoor living, right? That's where they had their backyard grill. It wasn't in the backyard, it was on the rooftop. And so you were to put a guardrail out there so nobody accidentally fell off. So you're to preserve life. And we talked about different ways that we do that today because we don't do life on our roofs typically, uh, but we do the other things. So he's dealing with life there. But in this, he's also transitioning to this concept of purity. This concept of purity. Now, what does it mean? What, is, what does the Bible mean when it calls God's people to be pure and holy before the Lord? God calls His people to pursue purity, doesn't He? And we see that in, in the law, in Deuteronomy. As we are pursuing purity, right? Pursuing purity is pursuing to reestablish the pure image of God in us, isn't it? I mean, when you really think about it, that's what the call to purity is. It's a call to conform more and more to the image and likeness of God. That's why he calls us in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, you be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Right, that's a call to purity. Well, we've already established that all human life is created in the image and likeness of God. That was from the very beginning. Right? In, in Genesis chapter 1, he says, let us create man in our own image and likeness. And so in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so all human life is created in the image and likeness of God. But sin came into the world and perverted that image. Sin came in and distorted that image. And so as God calls us to be holy as the Lord our God is holy, He's calling us to purify that image. To conform again to His image. To weed out the sin that is in our life so that we 
look more and more like God. And so a call to purity is a call to pursue the image and likeness of God. And so that's what we begin to see as, as Moses makes this transition into this next section on human purity. We're to pursue purity as the Lord your God is pure. And that's the lesson we're going to learn today. Pursue purity as the Lord your God is pure. Conform yourself to the image and likeness of God. Restore that image. Aim to restore that image that God created from the beginning. So I want to share with you today from our text here three principles to employ as you pursue purity. Three principles to employ as you pursue purity purity so I want to read our text and note that I'm not going to cover those other two texts that I've already covered uh, but I'm going to read them and then we're going to look at all of these others so if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 22 please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word and hear the word of the Lord a woman shall not wear a man's garment nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. When you build a new house... You shall make a parapet uh, for the roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear clothes, uh, you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourselves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we do pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts today, Lord. Lord, at this time, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey your word, Lord. In a world that goes against your word, in a world that wants us to conform to worldly standards, Lord, let us have hearts willing to obey your word and conform our lives to your word because, Lord, we want to restore that image in us. The image that sin has corrupted lord we want to see it restored and we want to work on that as much as we can in this life but lord we look to the day that you will make it perfect in eternity when we see christ in his perfection lord you've promised that we will become perfect like he is perfect and lord we just look for that day until then though lord let us empower us to conform to your word. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. 
Well, as we, we look at our text today, the first principle to employ as you pursue purity is this. Do not pervert God's order. Do not pervert God's order. And that's really coming out in a, in a lot of these verses here, but uh, we see it exceptionally, exceptionally well here in the first verse, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, as we look at this text, uh, this text is not dealing, you know, this is not a text that says, well, men should wear pants and women should wear dresses, and that's just it, Right? Because when this text was written, there was no such thing as pants. Uh, everyone wore kind of the same kind of clothing. It was just how they ordained those clothing that marked the difference. And, and so this is not an argument that men wear pants and women wear dresses and that sort of thing. But it is an argument to say that men should act like men and women should act like women. Men should dress like men dress. Women should dress like women dress. Because... All of this has to do with God's created order, right? Because God created us different. He created us different in many ways. And, and all along the way, humanity has wanted to pervert those differences. And so in this text, he's dealing with this idea where, women, where men were trying to be more effeminate. They were trying to be more effeminate. They were trying to be more like women, and so according to what profession they might be in, they might want to dress like a woman and, and be more effeminate in their characteristics and, and women likewise. And, and the Lord says, no, 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 we don't do that because there's a created order here. You see, God created things in order. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And, and there was an ocean over the entire earth. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the deeps, it says, over that ocean. And so that's how it was all created. God created. God said, let, the, let there be, you know, God said, created the heavens and the earth. He said, all right, let, let matter come into being, right? And, and there was all this matter together, but it was formless and void. It was chaos. It was confusion. It wasn't organized. But then you go into the six days of creation, and God says, let there be light, let there be land, let there be all of these things. And He begins to put order into His creation. And so God created everything, and then He put everything in order. And the last thing that He brought to earth was that He said, let us create man that is human kind in our likeness and in the image of God he created him male and female he created them male and female with differences but those differences was was with a purpose right God created man and woman to complement one another not to be like one another so Man and woman are, are equal in value, aren't they? Men and women are equal in value, but, but when we say we are equal in value, that is not to say that we're the same. We're not the same. God didn't create us the same. 
He created us different, and He created us different for a purpose. Now, the world says that no, if we're going to treat women with dignity, then we got to treat women like they are men. But the problem is, they are not men. There's differences. There's physical differences. There's emotional differences. There's psychological differences. There's differences. And really, when we, we don't respect those differences, that's where confusion and chaos begin to come back into play. Right? God created everything and put everything in order. But sin comes in, in chapter 3, right? G Genesis chapter 3. Sin comes in. Sin perverts God's created order, and now we have confusion and chaos. And so God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and the idea is your desire will be against your husband. Right? There's, there's conflict in that relationship between husband and wife now because sin has come in. Now there's confusion. Now there's chaos. Even in that relationship, your desire will be against your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, God brings order. But sin brings confusion and conflict. And that's exactly what we see in our society today. We see the confusion and the conflict taking place in our world. Sin perverts God's order. Sin perverts God's order. To pervert something is to alter something from its original course, meaning, or state of of distortion or corruption of what was first intended. And that's what sin has done. It has perverted God's order. Our whole world is marked with chaos and confusion. And we see that in the, the wide discussion of sexuality and gender. I mean, that's all in our face these days, right? It, it's everywhere. And there's just massive confusion in sexuality and gender within our world. There's this confusion. There's this chaos all around that these days. Everything is going against God's created order to the chaos. So if you're confused on some of these things, let me bring some, some light to the issue here. Now, when we talk about a person's sex, Sex is somewhat absolute because you are born either male or female. And so sex is a, an absolute concept. You can't change that. Uh, not willingly. I mean, you, there, there's, uh, I guess, other ways to do that. But, but sex is our, how God created us. It's our natural-born sex, male or female. Now, when you get into sexual orientation, though, now here comes the confusion and the chaos. It begins to, to come in. God created them male and female, and he put them together as husband and wife. But sin came into the world, and it perverted that. And so God created sexual orientation to be heterosexual, but now we have homosexuality, we got bisexuality, we got pansexuality, and so many other kinds of sexuality. You can't keep up with all of the different ways uh, that they try to divide this thing up anymore. Right? Confusion and chaos. And then there's gender. Gender is viewed as a social construct. You know, that's what they said about marriage. Marriage is a social construct. And so why 
Why, why not have homosexual marriage if it's a social construct? That's baloney, by the way. God defines marriage. It was His, it was his uh, covenant. It was His creation. So He gets to determine what marriage is, not society. But people nowadays, sin came in and corrupted that. And so, so marriage is viewed as a social construct. Gender now is viewed as a social construct and is relative to how a person feels. How a person feels. That's what our secular society says. And so now you have all of these different kinds of gender and I had to kind of look this up and, and educate myself because I was confused uh, about a lot of this stuff and just recently kind of dug into it a little bit more to try to understand the conversation a bit more. But you have cisgender. Have you heard that term on the news? Cisgender is when your gender matches your natural sex. So I would be considered cisgender gender because I was naturally born a male and I act like a man and I talk like a man and I dress like a man so I would be cisgender everyone in here uh, I believe is cisgender so uh, cisgender is is the normal thing right or, or or it's the natural way transgender on the other hand uh, transgender does not match the actual born sex. So if you have a man who wants to be a woman and act like a woman, then he is transgender and vice versa. And so uh, it's still recognizing two poles there, but uh, you don't feel like you're the sex you were actually born with. That's transgender. Now, if that's not confusing enough, now we have non-binary Non-binary. Now, bon non-binary gender is gender that does not align with male or female divisions. What? That's what I said. What? That's right. Uh, non-binary is that your gender doesn't align with any of those divisions. It might be that you feel like a, a man this day and you feel like a woman that day or, or maybe you just, you're somewhere in the middle and you don't know where you feel and, and so then you're non-binary. And that's where you also get into defining your own pronouns, right? Because he's can be she's or they can be them's and the they's and all of this crazy stuff that's going on in our world. See, chaos and confusion. God created mankind in his image, in his likeness, male and female. He created them. Order. Order. No confusion. No chaos. Order. Sin comes in. Chaos and confusion. Now we can't keep up. Now if you, you call a he a him, but he identifies as a they, then you've offended him, and, and culture says you're a bigot. You're just wrong for doing that. Chaos and confusion. Sin corrupts. It perverts God's created order, which, by the way, 
this gender confusion, instead of being liberating, like secular society says it, it should be, right? That's why we just had a whole month that was called Pride Month, because they were celebrating all of these things. But instead of being liberating, what happens? Well, you have things like gender dysphoria taking place, where people who are just confused and, and they're feeling depressed and anxious about who they are because society tells you you're not supposed to be like God created you. You're supposed to be something else. And so uh, there's all of this confusion about, well, who am I? Confusion, chaos, anxiety, stress, depression, all coming out of sin. In a godless culture, there will always be confusion and chaos. But dear friend, hear me now. God gives order and peace. God gives order and peace. When we don't pervert God's order of things, when we conform to God's order there's none of that confusion there's none of that chaos there's male and female there is heterosexual relationships no confusion no chaos only God's peace as you pursue purity do not pervert God's order do not pervert God's order. Don't pervert God's gender or God's gender roles. Right? God even gives husbands and wives particular roles within the family unit. Don't pervert those roles. Don't pervert sexuality. Don't do any of that. Rather, pursue purity. And yes, that means sometimes going against your own desires. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But, but sometimes that's, that's the whole thing, right? Our, we, we are sinners. Our desires are perverted. So we're to resist those desires and conform to God's will, pursue purity. So do not pervert God's order in your pursuit of purity. Do not pervert God's order. Second, do not pervert God's people. Do not pervert God's people. Run down to verses 9 and, and uh, 11 there. Verses 9 through 11. Notice what it says here. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crops uh, the crops that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. So don't mix two kinds of seed. You shall not plow with an ox or and a donkey together. What's that about? You shall not wear clothes of wool and linen mixed together. What, what, what's he talking about here? Is, is this a, a literal thing here? Does he actually mean that I think this is a cotton blend, right? This, this shirt's a, a little bit of cotton and a little bit of something else. Am I sinning because I'm wearing a, a shirt that's made with two different kinds of thread? 
I don't think so, right? Uh, would it actually be a sin if somebody went down through their vineyard and, and planted a row of peas? I, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. In fact, I think what's taking place here is that, that he's using this proverbial type of language, uh, idiomatic type of language here in these verses to kind of that means he's using these illustrations to make another moral point here. It's not that God is concerned about what seeds we sow out in the field and God cares what kind of fabrics are in our clothing. He's not worried about fields and clothing. He's worried about our spirit. He's worried about our hearts, and so there's a deeper lesson to be learned here. When he talks about sowing your vineyard with two different kinds of seed in Scripture, Israel is often referred to as God's vineyard. As God's vineyard. And so they're not to pervert God's vineyard. They're not to to mix in the things of the Lord with the things of the world. They're not to mix those things. They're not to to bring in idolatry and other false religions into Israel. They're to keep Israel, God's people, pure and holy and righteous. When he talks about plowing with an ox and a donkey, of course, there there is a, a problem there. Uh, you, you can't really plow with a do- an ox and a donkey together because they're going to be doing two different kinds of things. You kind of need beasts of equal stature uh, to, to plow a field. But there's a deeper lesson here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-16, through 16, Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He's alluding to this text, I believe. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Here again, we're not to pervert God's people. But then he talks here about the the having that same idea in mind he talks about you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together it's the same kind of concept right you're you're not to to mix with outside influences you're not to mix the things of god with the things of this world in other words you need to be careful of the company you keep be careful of the company you keep as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. We need to be careful of, of the company we keep. We need to be careful of what influences we allow into our lives to influence us. And this applies both individually and corporately. Individually, you need to be careful of the company you keep. You need to be very careful about what influences you allow into your life to influence you and help you make decisions. You need to be careful of what news stations you listen to and watch. You need to be careful of what commentary you hear. You need to be careful of the friends that you have in your life that influence you and cause you to do certain things. Now certainly we are to make friends with unbelievers 
We're to build those relationships with unbelievers. We're to seek them out, to build those relationships, and, and all for the purpose of, of sharing the gospel with the lost because we want to see the lost come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and instead of going to hell, we want to see them in heaven. And so we want to make those relationships, but be careful that it, it is an intentional relationship and, and you know where the lines are. Because if you allow them, you build that relationship so tight that you allow them and their sinful ways to influence your life, well, then it's gone the other way, hasn't it? You need to be careful of the influencers that you allow in your life. Who is influencing your life? And how are they influencing your life? You should really surround yourself with believers. Not cutting yourself off from the world, not, not doing that. We're not called to, to go out here and, and build a community and walls and all that. God doesn't call us to do that. No, He calls us to live in the world, to, to take the gospel out to a dark and dying world. But we're to surround ourselves with Christian influences so that they're the ones who are speaking into our lives and helping us to grow in Christ so that we might become pure so that we might grow in our purity grow in our holiness not allowing the world to draw us into its web of deception and lies and the same goes for the church the same goes for the church we need to be very careful about what influences we allow into our church and that becomes really more serious in our day and in our time where we live in a, a global community, right? Because you guys, you can be listening to a hundred preachers a day from all over the world and all different kinds of backgrounds. We have music coming into the church from all different kinds of backgrounds and we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have all of these video Bible lessons and, and different things that, that come into the church, and we've got to be careful. We have some teachers who used to be great Bible teachers, but they've gone astray, and, and when they go astray, you've got to say, oh, we've got to cut those off. We're not going to listen to those anymore. And there are those people I said, uh-uh, no more. We can't have that person teaching and feeding into our church because they're not following the Bible. There's certain musicians, certain uh, groups out there who are producing great Christian music that you'll hear out there on Christian radio. If you turn your, your radio to Christian radio, you're going to hear their songs played more than anybody else, but we're not allowing them in our church because why? Because when you get behind the music and you see their theology, their theology is all messed up. And we're not allowing that influence to come into our church. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. I even heard one of, those, one of the leaders of those church say that like the, the, the music, that was the introduction to their, their church, right? That's, that's how they drew people into their church, drew people into their ideology, their theology. It was through the music. If you catch your mind with the music, well, then it's easy to pull them into the rest. We've got to be careful of what influences we allow 
among God's people. We are, we are not to pervert God's people. We cannot pervert God's people. We've got to aim for purity, not corruption. So we weed out the corruption and we strive for and aim for purity. As you pursue purity, do not pervert God's people. Do not allow godless influences to lead you into sin, a sinful lifestyle. R- remember this. Remember this. Let this sink into your mind. There are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That's the world's way. Celebrate homosexuality. Celebrate transgenderism. Celebrate all of these perversions of God's created order. Celebrate the confusion and chaos. That's the easy way. That's the easy way. Right? If our church made a statement and says, oh yeah, we're going sex- uh, to accept homosexuality and, and we're going to embrace that and, and we're going to invite it in and, and transgenderism, we're going to invite, the world would celebrate our church. But that's the easy way. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And those who enter it is few. It's not the easy way. You see, the world will celebrate you if you follow their way, but they will condemn you when you follow the narrow way. But be sure of this, the wide way leads to eternal destruction. Not only will there be confusion and chaos, anxiety and depression, guilt and shame all along that way, but it will lead to everlasting destruction. The narrow way, oh, there will be persecution. There will be hardships. The world will hate you and talk about you and run you down, but it leads to everlasting life. There's two ways to live. The world's way, God's way. The easy way, now, the glorious day in eternity. Which way will you live? In your pursuit for purity, do not pervert God's order are God's people, rather, now we get to the positive command here, rather, actively pursue purity by conforming to God's will. Actively pursue purity by conforming to God's will. We see this in this last little verse here, verse 12. You shall make yourself tassels on on the four corners of your garments with which you cover yourselves. Now, this is a reference to... uh, a command given in Numbers, Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. Let me just read it real quick for you. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the four corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. 
And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after our own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after, right? not, to, not to follow the, the desires of the heart and the desires of the mind, but to follow God's way. So you shall remember and do all my commandments, and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so those tassels that he, Moses is referring to were sewn on the ends of their garments to remind them of the Lord's commandments. So that every time they looked down and saw those tassels on the edges of their garment, they rem- would remember I belong to God. I belong to Yahweh. I'm not to conform to my own selfish, sinful desires. I'm not to conform to the the desires of this world, the, the ways of this world, but I am to conform to the image and likeness of God. I'm to pursue holiness. I'm to pursue purity. I'm to be holy as the Lord my God is holy. We are to pursue his will and not our own desires. First John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 says it like this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And listen, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We are to actively pursue purity by conforming ourselves to God's will. By crucifying the flesh along with all of its sinful desires. That's why Jesus says you have to take up your cross daily and follow Him. Every day, you've got to crucify this old body of flesh because this old body of flesh, it wants to do sinful things. And the world says embrace those sinful things. Do them. And you'll find freedom and happiness when all you really find is depression and loneliness. But God says, don't embrace the sinful desires of your heart. Conform yourself to God's will. And how do you conform yourself to God's will? Well, you got to pick up this book. And you got to invest some time reading this book, studying this book. And not just reading it and studying it, but but taking time to learn the lessons that that God has in this book because this is His will for you. And you can form yourself to the image and likeness of God by applying this book to your life. Oh, dear friend. If you think you're a Christian, but you never open up this book, how can you know for sure? 
If all you do is come here on Sunday morning and listen to what I have to say, and that's all you do all the rest of the week, how are you conforming to the image and likeness of God? How are you going to be holy like He is holy if you're not allowing His will to be impressed upon you day after day after day after day of your life? And it can start with a simple habit of reading just one chapter a day. Just read one chapter a day. Learn the lesson in that chapter. And apply that to your life. Oh, if you want to conform to the image and likeness of God, if you want to conform to His will, you've got to pick up God's Word and you've got to read it, study it, and apply it to your life. Conform to God's will. Do not be conformed to this world. Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world wants you to transform. It wants you to conform to it. Don't do that. Resist that. Don't be politically correct. Be biblically correct. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by studying and applying God's Word. Pursue purity as the Lord your God is pure. Do not pervert God's order or God's people. Rather, conform to God's will. And this all starts by being born again, by the way. All of this starts, it doesn't start by your effort. Because if, you, if you're trying to conform to the image and likeness of God on your own effort, I'm afraid to tell you, you're going to fail miserably. The world's going to pull you away like that. If you want to be conformed to the image and likeness of God, you start by being born again. And that starts by be, trusting in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4-10, through 10, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Christ appeared, right? Christ appeared in order to take away sins. That's what He came for. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning, that keeps on practicing sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or has known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, Christ, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Let me say that again. No one born of God, born again, born of God makes a practice of sinning. For, here's the reason, because God's seed abides in Him. His Holy Spirit abides in Him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, here's the truth. If you want to be conformed to the image and likeness of God, if you want to be pure as God is pure, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You are enslaved by your sinful desires. You are enslaved by your sinful life. But Jesus came to overcome that. And when we look to Jesus, when we look to what He has done for us, when we trust in Him, God says, I will give my seed to you. I will put my seed in your heart. That is my Holy Spirit. I will place Him in your heart. And He will change you. He will transform you. And He will conform you to the image of my Son, Jesus. You want to be conformed to the image of God? You want to pursue purity as God is pure? Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. He will change you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you don't just call us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, you took action. You sent Your Son to come and die for us, to live and die for us, and to be resurrected from the dead so that You could give us resurrected life in Him so that we can actually become holy as You are holy. And Lord, those of us today who have trusted in Jesus, we look forward to that day that we will become perfectly holy when we see Jesus face to face. Until then, oh Lord, keep working on us. Keep working on us. Keep, keep doing all that you're doing in our life to make us more and more each day like Jesus. And Lord, I know there's some today, there's some who've never heard of Jesus. Or maybe they've heard of Jesus, but they've never looked to Jesus. Oh, they've been trying to do things. They're trying to be good of their own accord, but they're, they're finding it difficult and hard. Lord, let them look to Jesus. Let them find the power that you have promised them in Christ to become like Christ. Oh, Lord, do a, a mighty work in our hearts today. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.